Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I'm here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. This episode is brought to you by The Wellness Company and more specifically, their Spike Support Formula. This product is a revolutionary, you guys. I was introduced to The Wellness Company Spike Support from my friend Kid Carson and was immediately interested as I myself have been deep diving into the literature of COVID spike proteins, which is the legacy of the COVID virus and the vaccines, and it's linked to all kinds of long haul issues. And people want to know, how the heck do I get this out of my body and protect myself moving forward? Well, the all-natural solution that I have been using is Spike Support. The Spike Support formula is a unique combination of targeted ingredients researched to block and dissolve COVID spike protein in the bloodstream. So whether you got the shot, you're watching the research pour in about the vaccine shedding, or you had a rough go with COVID, spike protein is a serious concern. And while we won't know the true extent of the damage for years, there is something you can do now to protect yourself and keep you and your family well. Hundreds of people, vaccinated or not, have reported better mental clarity, increased energy levels, and many more positive outcomes from the spike support formula. Take spike support daily to combat spike proteins and get back to that pre-COVID feeling. Go to twc.health forward slash unfiltered and use code unfiltered to save 10% at checkout. That's twc.health forward slash unfiltered code unfiltered for 10% off. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 171 of the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. My name is Elisa and today it is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. And I just have to say that recording today's episode was a highlight of my podcasting career. I was also so nervous, (laughs) but I think it went so well. This week, I am speaking to Zuby. Zuby is a rapper, an author, public speaker, fitness expert, life coach, and this one's my favorite, a beacon of light in the world during the pandemic for me. There were a handful of leaders of people, influencers right at the beginning there who stepped up when world leaders began dividing and othering. Remember that? And Zuby was absolutely one of them. And of course, I wasn't alone. Millions of people resonated with his words, his lyrics, his perspectives, and higher vibrations. He has over, he has accumulated over 2 million followers on social media and 30 million YouTube views. Like, hello. He first came onto my radar when he guested on the Joe Rogan experience back in 2021 because he asked so many important questions and shared a ton of perspective on indoctrination and groupthink. And these are such important subjects in a world of constant streams of digital information, people telling you what to do, how to be, who to be, how to react, right? Like, it's like, what if I'm not that? What if I think uh, think other things? Who am I then? And he was just such a voice of reason. 
Zuby has since become a rising star in all areas. And although we do not agree on all things, we do share many values, including freedom of speech, family, trust, transparency, and personal responsibility. This conversation was almost healing for me. And I know that many listeners of the show are in a healing phase right now. And uh, like side note, please take your time with this. Healing does not happen overnight and no one's rushing you to let go and move on and forget. And with that, healing with healing comes a ton of forgiveness. And this is what it was for me. It was almost like hashing out some of those invisible, deeper things that I've been burying over the pandemic. Remember, forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We must continue to talk about that mind virus that swept through the world and captured us, myself included, so that we can learn how to do it better next time and love unconditionally. Forgiving is not forgetting. It is detaching from the pain, from the anguish, from the hurt, from the narrative, and letting that go so that you can move on, lift your vibration lead from the heart and not be burdened with the grief and the pain of what you have experienced in your life. So forgiving is not forgetting. It is detaching from the pain. We are all healing and sharing our experiences and helping others feel a little bit less alone. And I hope that this gives you a little bit of strength to let go and forgive as well. So Wow, that that was really powerful. And also this conversation is so dang good. (laughs) Let's go. Here is my guest today, Zuby. All right, Zuby, welcome to the Elisa Unfiltered podcast. I don't think I've been this excited to chat with someone in a really long time. (laughs) I'm honored. Thank you for inviting me. Amazing. And you're in Dubai right now. I am in Dubai right now. It is, uh, it's evening time over here. I'm probably Mm -hmm. quite far ahead of you, but uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, Dubai is great. And you, um, I want to get into some like meaty meat stuff here, but you, um, are sort of, you're around the world. You're going all over the place right now. Are you not? I'm all over the place. Yeah. I've probably been on at least 50 flights this year. Um, I've been to, I think 15 countries so far this year, and I've been to some of them three or four times. So yeah, I've been, um, I've been all over the place, but I'm in Dubai until the end of this month. Actually, I'm going to South Africa in a couple of weeks because I got a speaking booking there. But uh, after that, I'll come back to Dubai. And then before the end of the year, I'll uh, probably visit the US again. And then I'll be in the UK for Christmas. Okay. Is it a love for travel? Is it just observing different cultures? What is it about you that's sort of nomadic at this point in your life? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't actually live anywhere. So (laughs) travel is, uh, (laughs) travel is just, is just what I do, but um, I do events all around the world. Um, I've had events this year in multiple continents. I've done events in, like I said, I'm speaking in South Africa soon. I spoke in Nigeria a few months ago. I've done live concerts in Texas, California, Dublin, Manchester, London, Amsterdam, done speaking engagements in um, many in the US. I spoke in Doha, Qatar earlier on this year. So I'm just all over the place. The nature of my work as a rapper, and public speaker in particular, take me around Mm -hmm. the world. I travel quite a bit for my podcast as well, Real Talk with Zuby. And then on top of that, I just enjoy traveling. I've been traveling my entire life. And so 
it's just it's just my lifestyle. It's what I do. It's normal for me. Well, you popped on my radar personally, I think maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, sort of in the middle of the the pandemic, in the middle of uh, when Canada, because I'm Canadian, so we were just sort of coming out of the lockdowns for a, a, a breath of fresh air before getting shut down again. Yeah. Um, and you were speaking my language. You were one of the very few voices of reason that I sort of latched onto. And I have to give you, I, I, I just want to say thank you. I have so much gratitude for the words, the spoken words that you put out on Twitter or X now. Um, and then on Instagram, it was, it was, you were not only a voice of reason, but it, it also helped me to maintain my personal sanity when all of these narratives were being shoved down our throats here in Canada. How did you, stand so firmly in your beliefs amongst all the chaos with that? Yeah. Well, firstly, I'm honored. So I'm I'm glad that um I'm glad I was able to help keep you sane and help you get through that. I've heard that all across my travels from thousands of different people <laughs> across different countries and continents. I've had people just stop me in the street and just be like, dude, thank you so much for everything you've been saying and speaking out on all these issues. How did I manage to, did you say, how did I manage to keep my head and stay? stay yeah. Calm? How did you, yes. Yeah. How did you stand? Like, because we all stand for and stand against things, but when yeah. the world is really against you, there was so much canceling and, and, mm. and horrible name calling and, and that sort of thing. How did you maintain your stance with so much adversity around? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think that a lot of it boils down to my personality type. So I mean, if anyone's familiar with the big five personality model, I'm in the first percentile of neuroticism, which means that 99% of people are more sensitive to negative emotion than I am. And so okay. that can be a little bit of a double-edged sword, but it generally works in my benefit because I'm very hard to frighten, first of all, and <laughs> I'm completely immune to any type of depression or anxiety or anything like that. I'm also quite a disagreeable person and I'm a highly assertive person. Mm -hmm. so. I mean, I like to be liked and a lot of people like me, but I don't live my life to be liked. I don't live my life based on other people's opinions per se, not in a kind of obnoxious or rebellious way at all, but it means that I stand on my principles. I, I stand on my values. I don't go with the herd. I'm happy to be, I could be in a room that's got a hundred people all dressed in black and I'm wearing white and mm -hmm. I feel fine. A lot of people will leave that party because they don't feel comfortable or they'll be stressing out or whatever. I can eat in a restaurant by myself. I can go to a movie theater by myself. I can. I don't live my life to sort of please or appease other people. Uh, I'm not a lone wolf. I'm very much an extrovert. I love human beings and I wouldn't be able to do what I do if I didn't. Um, but I've taken so many unorthodox paths in my life, especially over the past 15 plus years with my career and everything I've done and built up. Every single day, I'm living an unorthodox life. I mean, I don't even live anywhere. People are like, where do you live? Where's your stuff? I don't understand you. What are you doing? Are you a rapper? Are you a speaker? Are you a podcaster? Are you a commentator? <laughs> are you a writer? Like, I don't, how are you doing all of these things? And I, I've just, I'm just like that. I just do it. And then on top of it all, um, I'd say there's two other major things. Number one is that I fear God. I don't fear man. So I'm not afraid mm -hmm. of other people. Um, I'd rather be canceled by, I'd rather be canceled by man than canceled by God. And so <laughs> if I'm, 
doing or saying something I know to be true, or I know to be correct morally, then I'm going to stand on that, even if the world seems like it's against me or other people are coming at me or insulting me or anything like that. And then I think the the final thing, and maybe this is tied into the last thing I said, is just a sense of duty. So it's not so much mm. that it's not so much that how did I do this? It's almost like, how could I not? How could I not? How can something that how can I want to say something like I really want to say something and I'm not saying it or I really want to do this thing and I'm not doing like to me, I don't know, maybe because I've been um, sort of independent in my career and in my business and everything for such a long period of time at this point, I kind of operate in a, I operate sort of outside the matrix. I don't have all these constraints above and around me and things like that. I just say what I, I say what I think. Um, I mean what I say. I'm happy to discuss, debate, have back and forth with different people, whatever. I, I'm very comfortable with all of that. And if I have a strong opinion on something, or I think that something is going wrong in society, in culture, in humanity, something in the law, whatever, I, I will speak up on that. Because, I mean, referring back to the period I, I call the scandemic, it was all wrong. It was all garbage. The laws didn't make sense. The government was doing things that the government doesn't even have a right to do. In all of these different countries, people were behaving in ways that didn't make sense. People were saying things that didn't make sense, doing things that didn't make sense. People were dragging humanity into a very dark road, which we've been down many times before as a species. And I don't want us to go there. So I almost felt a sense of duty that, hey, I've got to I've, I've got to say something. Um, other people are panicking. I'm not panicking. And I can just look at this rationally and clearly and just ask certain questions. I don't have all the answers, but we should be able to ask the questions, right? If something is not making sense, if someone's there telling you one plus one equals three, you know, you have a right to say, wait, hang on. How did you, how did you get to that? I got to two. So explain to me how you got to three, right? That doesn't mean that I'm anti-math or that I hate I hate science or, or anything like that, or I want anyone's grandma to die. It just means that I don't think that this is making sense and things are not adding up. So I have questions and I'd like answers. I will say that one of the things I admired about you the most during that time was your ability to ask harder questions. I mean, you were asking the questions so many of us were thinking, but not really putting out into the world. And why do you say scan scamdemic? I've never heard that term before. I love it. <laughs> I, because I mean, did you, did you feel like you lived through a pandemic? I felt as though, um, I you, felt you as lived though through, you, you lived through lockdowns. You lived through, I lived through lockdowns and see, I was, were you, were you hearing, um, ambulances and, and sirens around you? Were you just seeing your friends and families and neighbors and people around you dropping dead in the street and dying? Is is this was this your experience? No, I did. I do know several people who did die of COVID, um, okay. not firsthand, but like you know, um, relatives of friends and yeah. and such like and that. I, and, and I, and I want to be clear. I, I have sympathy for anyone who passed away from that. Yes disease like i have sympathy for anyone who passed away from any other disease or or anything else um i guess my point is that if you were not told if we were not told and broadcast 24 7 hours a day on traditional media social media and so on maybe people would be like ah oh, the flu's a bit flu's a bit nasty this year but cool let's get on with our life this was the first 
quote unquote pandemic where you had to publicize it. You had to run multi-billion dollar mm-hmm. marketing campaigns to tell people that there's a virus on the loose and that they need to do this and they need to do that. I believe that had they not hyped it up so much with so much PR and advertising and propaganda, I don't think most people would have even noticed. I don't think most people would have noticed. Every flu season, tens of, around I mean, globally, hundreds of thousands of people die every yes. flu season. Um, yes. that's, that's just a reality. Every, every year, 60 million people in this world die every single year. Okay. Um, and that is sad and that is unfortunate, but it does not stop. It does not, it does not stop the earth moving every flu season that we have every winter. We don't shut down Canada, shut down the UK, shut down the U S shut, shut down the whole world under the idea that, well, number, number one, it's not even going to, it's airborne. It's not even going to stop people from yeah. um, potentially getting sick. So, you know, there was all the illogical stuff with that, but the, the truth is that, I mean, there, there's so many factors to it. It's interesting to even sort of think, think back to it all. Yeah. Go back. I, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the, first of all, the government doesn't have the right to institute a lockdown like that. I concur. I mean, all the, all the things that happened, I was like this in a so-called liberal Western democratic country where you're supposed to be about freedom and liberty and you know autonomy and all these sort of things even free speech they they went against every single principle that the west is supposed to hold dear since when is it okay to coerce people into injecting things into their body that they don't want right since when is that since when is yes. that okay since when is it okay to lock people in their house and tell them you cannot go outside you're not you're not allowed to leave your home no there's not and then not get the neighbors We're not our neighbors Neighbors were ratting on people like in yeah. Canada. It was crazy. It went, it went crazy. Right. And so all, all of that stuff was just, I was like, look, this is, this is wrong. All of this is wrong. And people are like, oh, well, you know, people look our entire lives. We've been, people have been getting sick, right? We've been getting yeah. sick. You catch a cold, you get the flu. Sometimes, oh, oops, you pass it on to someone else. You don't even know where you got it from. When you get a cold, I don't know who I got it from. I don't know. I'm just out there in the world. I'm interacting. There's viruses and bacteria and particles floating around by the millions all around me. And yeah, sometimes, sometimes I get sick and so on. Um, Another thing that was forgotten as well is that human beings are mortal, right? So again, I I have sympathy for people who die, but if I look, if you look at actual statistics that were even coming out early in many countries, I mean, the average age of death from COVID, from what we can gather was often 80 plus years old. Yeah. 82, I think here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the life expectancy in Canada, I think is about 82. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not trying to say this to be callous to someone who's listening and, you know, maybe their grandfather or their grandmother, some, someone, someone passed away um, in, in their, in their elderly age. And, and that sucks, but it's also, you, you don't shut the entire world down for that. You don't close all the schools and stop people from going to work and, inflict all of the damage and destruction that they did on people's physical well-being, mental well-being, civil liberties, childhood um, childhood development, people's ability to see their friends and their families and their ability to stay sane, their ability to earn an income, all of these things and all the, you know, now people are complaining about cost of living and complaining about inflation and this and that. It's like, we well, right. created all of that. Exactly. Well, you created all of that. <laughs> There's no cost of living crisis. This is just payback for the lockdown. You shut down the economy and you print billions, trillions of dollars and pounds and euros. Of course, you're going to get inflation. Um, 
And and so I just think the entire response of it, you can probably see I'm getting frustrated now as I'm reflecting back on it all. <laughs> but but the, the entire response was nonsensical. It, it did not make any sense. And then rather than doing any kind of course correction, they just amped it up and kept going and going and going. It went from two weeks to slow the spread, 15 days to flatten the curve to what, a thousand days in some places, thousand yeah, well, plus day. I mean, the reason I bring it up again here is because in Canada, they do threaten lockdowns. They do, they are uh, bringing back or at least discussing mask mandates coming back. Um, we are, in my opinion, um, our media is, 100% propaganda. It is not representative of the general public. It gives a false sense of social consensus in many ways. There is, um, there's a lot of fear around that. And we are not allowed to question or talk about the consequences of what happened. It's almost like people can't even go there. They're, they're, yeah. We're gaslit. We're canceled for talking about it. I mean, our prime minister even got publicly said last month that he never made anyone take the vaccine. And I almost fell off my chair. I was like, and people just believe that because it makes them feel safer and seen that they did the right thing. It's like affirming this, this nonsensical, uh, uh, subconscious need to be, I don't know, a part of the tribe to be liked, to have done the right thing, be the good girl, be the good boy here in Canada. And it's like disgusting that now we're seeing kids suffering. We're seeing the mental health decline. I, I can't even tell you how many um, homeless people are in Ottawa, in the capital of Canada here. The mental health, the drug addiction, all of that has escalated times a thousand. Um, and And people want to put their head in the sand. Why do you think that is? I think it's ego protection. Okay, That's can you at, at this stage it's just ego protection. It's saving face. It's saving face. Look, it's saving face. Look, look, Elisa, if you if you had dedicated the past 3 years to wearing a mask 24/7 everywhere you go, sanitizing like a mad woman, <laughs> uh pulling, you know, staying away from your friends and your family and living in a weird bubble and isolating yourself and doing all the things, getting getting all your jabs, getting all your boosters, yeah. doing all that, right? If you had dedicated the last 3 years of your life to doing that and then you found out or you worked out that it was oh and then you got covid anyway right right um it, it, right if if that had been your experience do you think it would be easy for you to come out now and be like uh yeah i was wrong that was pointless no, you're waste right of time right it would be so, so multiply that by several billion people around the entire world and that's where we are so of course nobody in politics of course nobody in the media um, even the average person, very few people are going to say, yeah, I was wrong. Um, I shouldn't have done all that. I, I, you know what? I'm actually a bit regretful of some of those decisions. Um, we should have done it differently. I, maybe I shouldn't have said some of the things I said, maybe I shouldn't have treated some of the people I treated in a certain way, whatever it is, everyone's got their own different story. Yeah. Um, but I just think that it's, it's ego protection at that point, sunk cost fallacy and then ego protection. It's very hard for human beings on anything to say, hey, um, I was wrong, or even just I, I changed my mind, or I mm. made a mistake. It takes a, it takes a level of humility to do that, especially if you've been calling the people who made 
a different decision or who had a different thought, especially if you've been going around calling them stupid or calling them idiots or calling them this or calling them that, then you have a lot of egg on your face at that point. If you come out and say, yeah, okay, you know, let me take this out publicly and let me apologize to the people I mistreated and let me try to make some amends. Um, but instead people would just like to pretend that none of it happened because look deep down, I think people are ashamed of themselves. I do think people are ashamed. Most people won't come out and say that, but man, if I had been a super, if I'd been one of these like mask or vaccine authoritarians and I'd been tearing apart my personal relationships and advocating that people lose their jobs and advocating this and advocating, we throw people in gulags for this. And like, man, if, if that were me, I would, man, I, I would like have to pay penance. I, I would be like, I'd be dedicating my Twitter feed for the next six months to just like apologizing to all the people who yeah. I, right? Like, especially with the size of my platform, I would have just been, Absolutely. I would be so, I would be so, so, so ashamed. I know how ashamed I would be if I had behaved like that. Um, and I did not, but um, I, I think that's, I think that's just what happened. And it's not just in Canada. It's um, in almost every, almost every country. Apart from a handful of countries in Africa, and then funnily enough, places like Sweden and Belarus, pretty much the entire globe went nuts. I went to eight different countries during that time period. Okay. And I've never seen something that is just so pervasive and illogical and insane. There's things think people think, oh, that was just my city, or that was just my state, or that was my country. I'm like, no, that was like most of the world. Like you could go to different continents. And it was the same goofy stuff. People wander in a restaurant, they put on a mask, they sit down, they take it off, they're eating for two hours with no mask on, they stand up to put a mask on, they go to the bathroom, yeah. like just do it. Just, just what, really, what, what yeah. is it, it? That was not right. People driving, driving their cars by themselves with masks on. I saw this in eight different countries. I saw people swimming in the ocean and in swimming pools, wearing their masks. I saw people smoking cigarettes and, you know, put the mask up and then pull down the mask. They smoke. It was a it was a mind virus that took over the majority of the world, um, and we you know it is important that we're talking about it that we sh we should continue to talk about this because something like this should never ever happen again. People look at history and they're like, oh, how did this happen? How did that happen? How mm -hmm. did so many people go along with this? Why did people behave like that? Why didn't people stop this thing from happening? And look, we've just lived through our own admittedly less violent and bloody version of it. Um, but the same human psychology at play, the power of authority, the power of the media, the power yeah. of mass compliance, the unwillingness of people to buck the trend, people self-censoring and yes. actual true censorship, people getting censored, but yes. people primarily censoring themselves. And also when you isolate people in that way and they're not actually talking to one another and communicating um, outside of the screens, then you can psyop people for so much longer. Because again, if it didn't have this huge PR campaign, I, I think how, how it would have played out is, okay, initial scare. There's initial scare. People don't know what's going on. They don't know the mortality rate. They don't, you know, maybe, okay, maybe we should stay inside. Maybe yeah. this, right? It would be like that for like two to three weeks. And then yeah. what would happen is people would come out and be like, okay, all right. A, a few people have gotten sick. Maybe, you know, some people hospitalized even. Um, but people were like, you know, check, check up on their neighbor, check up on their friends. Are you, are, are you okay? Okay. You're, you're still alive. Okay. Every, all right. People come out, people are going to work and communicating. Like, okay, there's, all right. There's, <laughs> you know, some illness going around, but 
we're okay. This is not the Black Death. This is not the plague. This is not the Spanish flu. Like, oh, okay. Oh, chill. How, oh, wait, how are the kids doing? How are the Oh, okay. None of the kids are dying. No, the kids are barely even getting sick. Okay, go mm-hmm. back to school. All right. That's what would have happened. And by summer 2020, we would have just been, okay, back to normal. Ooh, that was a bit of a scare. Um, but cool. So why do you think it kept going? Do you think this was a a coordinated thing? Do you think it's big pharma? Do you think it's the business of, do you think it's the world economic forum, the great reset? What do you think? (laughs) Okay. Well, let me give the least conspiratorial answer possible. Okay. (laughs) And the one that to me is just, well, the, the one, I don't like to say things that I don't think I can sort of verify and back up. Right. right. So okay. this is this is a huge rabbit hole, as I'm as I'm sure you know, right? Yes, of course. Um, I I think there's two simple answers: money and power. Mm. You could say power and control. These are two things. If if you ever want to understand human behavior, especially on the scale of large corporations or large governments or media or whatever it is, you know what what is the purpose of a giant? What is the purpose of a big corporation? What's big pharma's goal? Mm, you know, making money, make money, yeah. make money. Okay. That's, yeah. that's their goal, right? Yeah. Big for their goal is to make money. What is the purpose and role of a government? Um, or what is the motive of a leader in government who has some authoritarian tendencies, right? To pow- power, exert power yeah. and control. Governments sure. exist to exert power and control. This has been true. You can go back thousands and thousands of years, right? You could any mm-hmm. country, what happens when, you know, people get into power and, you know, the government grows in power. It doesn't matter if it's a democracy, if it's a dictatorship, if it's a monarchy, it doesn't even matter the type of system. Governments and leaders want more power and they want more control. That's why you constantly need checks and balances in any healthy governmental system so that that's the people, that's the problem people even have with dictators or monarchies, right? It's like, Hey, you don't want to just give that one person completely unchecked power because they go crazy with it. We've seen it happen again all over the world many many times in human history. So this situation was just a gift for anyone and like if you are in these industries or you're part of these institutions and you want to increase your power or you want to wield more control and influence or if you are in big pharma or you're in the media and you want to make money then if you view it through that lens it all makes sense. Everything with the vaccines makes sense, including trying to jab people who didn't need it from children to people who had already got antibodies from previous infection to uh, the booster shots. To like, it, They just wanted a subscription service. They want you coming back every six months, keep getting your booster, keep getting... They made so many billions and billions and billions of dollars. They, they Several new billionaires and many new multimillionaires were created in the pharmaceutical industry from this. Um, and all of these leaders, whether it's a Justin Trudeau, whether it's a who, whoever it is, and all these nations, they've never had so much power. They've never had so many people at their beck and call. They've never had so much authority, so much TV time. Look at the Dr. Fauci's. Hey, like now I'm famous. I'm making money. I'm on TV all the time. I'm this national hero. So I think when you view it through that lens, the entire thing makes sense. If you view it through the lens of like actual health and safety, none of it makes sense. <laughs> None of it makes right? sense. Right? No, none of it makes yeah. sense. If you view it through the lens of money and power, then it all makes sense. And I think that money and power, I don't think I know that money and power are substantial answers to explain things. Right. I don't need to if, if a corporation is doing something and you don't understand it, it's typically because they think it's going to make the money. 
Now, do you think that this playbook that they have imposed on or the mind virus that they released when it comes to the pandemic, do you see some similarities with some of the other controversial topics that are happening in North America, around the world, racism, transgenderism? Are you seeing a very similar playbook there? Yeah, I think there is a similar playbook. I think there's a um, manufactured consensus. Yes. Um, the rise in authoritarianism and censorship under the guise of safety, right? Whenever you want to tyrannize people and you don't want to just come out and straight up say, hey, I'm tyrannizing you. The best way to do it is to tell them that it's for their safety or that it's for some greater good. Because if you oppose something that is under the banner of safety, then they're not the bad guy, you're the bad guy, right? If I want to implement a policy or I want to create a new law and I say, hey, this is to keep people safe, and I call it the, I could call it, hey, the Health and Safety Act number one, two, three. And if you oppose it, then you're a bad person, right? Why is Black Lives Matter called Black Lives Matter? Because it's a statement. It's a semantically overloaded statement. Everyone agrees with the statement. But when you, Black Lives Matter means three things. One is like an actual organization yes. run by Marxists, right? It's a specific organization registered. Yes. Um, then there's the sort of uh, the, there's just the sentence itself. And then there's the sort of movement, which may or may not be connected to the organization. So Black Lives Matter is incredible branding, because if someone says that they don't support it, right, if they were just called the Black, if it was called the Black Revolutionary Marxist Movement, then there'd be no problem saying, hey, I don't support BRM. Yeah, but if it, it stands for Black Lives Matter, and someone comes out there and is like, hey, I don't support this, then they can jump. They can use the semantic overload. They can, oh, you're saying black lives don't matter? You're like, no, yeah. no, no. I'm saying I don't support the organization or I'm not. And they're like, no, no, you said you don't, right? So they can play these word games. It would be like if you created a, a terrorist organization and you called it um, Don't Kick Babies, right? You call your organization Don't Kick Babies. Your organization has very little to do with babies and not kicking them, right? You've got some nefarious means, but now it's much harder for, pe for people to oppose you because anytime someone criticizes you or criticizes your organization, you're just like, what? So you, what do you mean? Like, we're just against, we're just trying to stop people kicking babies. You don't, you don't support that, right? Are you a bigot? Are you a baby phobe? What are you? So I think these things are certainly connected. There's all um, an authoritarian tone to all of them. And they all are ways to do a totalitarian tiptoe into the population whilst hiding it under fluffy language and a false guise of sympathy and compassion and human care and all that kind of stuff. Just like you've got these environmentalists who literally want to reduce the human population, but they claim they want to do it. Oh, this is for the greater good. This is for, you know, the environment. This is for the climate. This is for mother nature. This is for whatever it is, but you know what? That would be good if there were like only 500 million people. Being um, an unvaccinated Canadian myself, I was called Nazi whites. I'm a white supremacist as well. These terms are being thrown around in out of <laughs> it's it's almost like they almost like as soon as there's no backbone to the argument or someone can't, I don't know, back up their statements, all of a sudden they name call. Are you have you been in that? <laughs> battle Alisa <laughs> uh, I'm um as you can see I'm a, I'm a chocolate skin fella with a strong beard 
And um, I have been called the exact same names. I, so I actually, I, I saw an interview where you were talking about someone called you the uh, a, a black white supremacist. And I yes. was like, how is that yeah, even a thing? I, I, like, I, it's, it's not a thing. Um, okay. But yeah, I've, I've been called that more than once. And I don't even know what not supporting forced vaccination has to do with race, let alone any type of supremacy. But look, yes. this is when you know you're just dealing with dishonest people. And, and circling back to something that we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, this is why I don't care about this type of criticism. I mean, it can be yeah. annoying. You know, it, it can be annoying and can put someone on the defensive because no one wants to be called a mean name. No one wants to be accused of being something bad that they're not. But the people who are making these accusations and just throwing around these words recklessly and look, if you falsely accuse someone of being something that they're not, or you try to slander them or damage their reputation, tell lies about them, call them a racist, yeah. a misogynist, a sexist home. If you want to say all that stuff with no evidence, then you're the bad guy. You're the bad guy. So if someone wants to come at me with all this, or they want to come at you with all that, I, to me, to me, that says it all. It says nothing about me. It says everything about the person, right? And so I think the mistake a lot of people make when and look, I understand most people aren't in the public sphere and they're not used to ever being called sort of any of these things. So it can be sort of very scary if yeah. it happens and they're worried about <laughs> this and that. Um, but after you've dealt with it a few hundred or a few thousand times, you just learn to, well, number one, stand your ground and not not go on the defensive, right? Like I don't need to defend. If someone says that, oh, you're, you're a white supremacist. Yeah. I'm not going to engage in a serious discussion of me defending and explaining how I'm not that thing, right? Like it's it's such an it's such an absurd claim. And and the thing is, even on its face, like anyone would even know, anyone with half a brain cell would be like, well, that's a stupid thing, to, right? Like that that accusation doesn't even make sense. Like what what are you even talking about? So if you don't do that, then the the other person just looks foolish. And I think the, these type of uh, tactics, I think they've been effective for quite a while. But I, I see yes. them becoming less effective less effective over time because they've just been, you know, these terms are just being thrown out like, like candy. I don't know. I actually call it label inflation. So we've got real inflation. We've got financial inflation, but we've That's also amazing. got, yeah, we've also got label inflation where all of these terms have just been diluted. They've lost their potency because you've just been calling everyone and their cat these names, right? Remember when they were calling everyone two years ago, everyone's an anti-vaxxer, 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 yeah. anti and a conspiracy theorist. Like, I was like a Trump supporter too. Cause I didn't get vaccinated. Apparently I was like, okay, like whatever. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's so interesting to observe. I mean, when it, once you get canceled, like it's so, it's almost like a free freedom. Like I feel oh, yeah. free in many yeah. ways to be able to talk about those harder things. And it's interesting, uh, during the convoy here, um, there was a, there was a lot of, shit. Like I live in Ottawa where the convoy landed and, um, I was being called Nazi and I, by white yogis, like these people who are, <laughs> I just, and, and, and the interesting thing is this, like one of the things that helped me to disconnect and see what you're talking about in, in lot, like real life is my, I'm first generation Canadian. So I was born here, but my grandparents and my parents were not, they were, they lived in Poland. In fact, my grandmother who was still alive at the time, she just recently passed, spent the first four years of her life or ages, I think three or four to eight, um, 
in a Nazi occupied concentration camp. They were taken from mm-hmm. Poland and actually she grew up under the rule of Nazi and that generational, I, I don't want to say generational trauma, but that's kind of what it was filtered down. And we heard some of the most horrific things. And so when people say that to me, I'm just like, you don't know what you're talking about. It is, no. and it, it was an easy sort of cut. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah of course. You, you don't have to dignify them. Right. You, know? you don't have to dignify them. It's like if someone, if you were walking down the street and someone just came up to you and like, I don't know, uh, started calling you a, a murderer and accusing you of or assaulting someone. Like, you'd be like what? Like, what do, what do you even, yeah. what, you, you see what I mean? It's just like, what, I what do. are you doing? Like that's, yeah, like what? Ignore. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending myself. I've got nothing to defend. Like there's yeah. no, this is just a huge nothing burger. You're the crazy person. And I'm going to, if I respond at all, I'm just going to respond like you're a crazy person. Um, yeah. If you've got some receipts, if you've got some evidence, if you've got something, okay, you're, these are some strong accusations you're throwing out there. Right. If you can, I don't know, go on my, go on my Twitter and, you know, find me posting, um, you know, Nazi propaganda or whatever thing you're accusing, like, you know, come with some receipts and if not shut up and actually don't just shut up, apologize. Right. Mm-hmm, shut up, mm-hmm. shut up or apologize because you, you, we have, we have to like flip these things on people. I, I think one of the, one of the issues we're having in the West, this is a slight deviation, but um, I, I think that the, I've never expressed this thought before, but I think that the consequences of false accusations need to be more severe. I concur. Yes. And I, I say, when I say that, I mean, both these type of flippantly calling someone a racist or a Nazi or a white supremacist or this or that, but also like criminal accusations, like both camps of these things. I think people have gotten way too comfortable. I don't know if it's just the internet and the social media effects, but people have gotten like way too comfortable with just falsely accusing people of things that they know are, are not true in an effort to damage their reputation and in an effort to damage their careers and in an effort to damage their social standing. And that's not right. That's not right. It's not, um, you know, that's, that's not a neutral act. That's an immoral act. If I go and I know something is not true and I go and I just start accusing someone, I start using my platform to accuse somebody who I disagree with of criminal activity or, you know, being a holding views that they don't even hold and they've never even suggested or whatever. And I'm trying to damage them reputationally. I think, I think my reputation should take a massive hit for that. I think I my agree. reputation should take a massive hit. And and so I think that we need to get, uh, not, not just get past this thing of people throwing around these labels willy nilly. I think it needs to start like inverting it on them. I think it needs to be, Hey, if you go around and you start calling people racists and Nazis and white supremacists and bigots and this and that, like maybe, maybe not bigot, right. That's not as, but if you're calling these people, these strong condemnations and you have no evidence, you've got no backup to your argument or whatever, then I need people need to look at that person and go, you know what? Like you just lost a whole bunch of credibility. This goes for the media too. If the media is going out there and writing hit pieces on people and saying that they're this and there's this and there's this, and they have no evidence then they should take a massive hit to their credibility. They shouldn't be allowed to keep on doing this to people. Our prime minister called me a racist and misogynist. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. Those people. Yeah, I heard it. (laughs) Oh my God. And now it's just like yesterday's news, like just move on. It's almost like someone was talking on the internet the other day about uh, how war is the new COVID. And um you know, COVID isn't, isn't hardcore right now in Canada, you know, all the focus is on war. The war is, is the, is the, 
is the distraction of the human mind right now. So we're not even really thinking about COVID so much. And it's so true how we're just constantly manipulated mm-hmm. and pull our attention is pulled all over the place. So yeah, well, look, you, Ukraine, you could the whole apparently the Ukraine Russia thing's over now. Uh, right. I know. I haven't heard that very, very much. No, I mean, it, it, it ended a month ago. We, it's like, does thing. anyone remember the Maui fires? Like what, what, what happened there? It's like, all what virtue signal flag are we going to start posting on social media this, this month? <laughs> yeah. It's frustrating. You know, the, the society's ability to focus on more than one thing at once has been, maybe it's always been like this. I don't know. Um, but it seems to have been greatly diminished. And as much as people liked I, the media is losing power slowly over time, at least the I hope so. Media, but it is still very powerful. It still does tell people what to care about and when to care about it and how much to care about it. That is the reality. And maybe it's their job, right? I guess if you think about the media in a way, you could argue that the job of the media is to tell the public what they should care about. Right? I feel like These when I was a kid, you- it wasn't like that. I feel like when I was a kid, the way they even story told or like there was there was like um, more connecting pieces, connective Mm -hmm. pieces where they would go in and and talk to people and connect. But the news was the news like this is what they had good. They had bad. They had all the things in between. It wasn't 18 segments at the top of the hour of all this horrific shit and what to think about it. Yeah, but there's a major reason for that, right? That would be to. Well, yeah. think about it. Think about it. The news did not used to be 24-7 news channels are a relatively new thing. Yeah, that's right? a good point. The, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge point. The media, the, the mm-hmm. news used to be two to three hours per day. Two to three hours, right? Morning news and evening news. That was it. Now you have how many 24-7 news channels in all across the world, are, right? Tw- like, tw- so for 24 hours, you have yeah. to be seven days a week, you have to be it's finding true. stuff to broadcast, right? Because the, you have to think think about the incentives because majority of it is advertising driven, right? Yes. In the US, yes. especially big pharma advertising. So the radio, the TV, all of these things, they're designed to sell advertising, right? All these news articles, right? Why do they put out these clickbaity headlines that don't explain yeah. the situation, right? Because you click and then they have ads on the thing and they earn revenue. So they there's now a perverse incentive. Every everything, We live in an attention economy. It's all about keeping eyeballs, getting clicks. Um, you even see individuals engaging in this, right? Individuals, they could be YouTubers, they could be uh, on X, they could be on Instagram, they could be on Facebook, but we live in an attention economy. The more eyeballs you get, the more clicks you get, the more outrage you get, the more people are sharing and clicking and commenting and whatever, the more money you make. It doesn't matter whether you're an individual or you're a small independent media company or you're a big media company. That's what it all is. So people are just wanting to get this attention every day, 24 seven to yeah. fight for attention. Every time you log into Instagram, you log into YouTube, you log into X, you turn on the TV, all these channels fighting for your attention, fighting for your eyeballs and therefore your advertising dollars. And I, again, when you think of it through that lens of money, <laughs> yeah. money or power, it, it explains, it just explains so many things. When people are like, oh, why is this thing like this? Why is this thing like this? There's normally a pretty simple explanation in that, hey, someone is making a lot of money from it being like that, right? If you tried to make a, yeah, if you tried to make a newspaper or a website and you were like, you know what? It's going to be just positive news, all only positive news, no drama, no war, no conflict, no fighting, just positive news. 
it's going to be hard to monetize. It will be right. hard to monetize. But if you can get people jacked up on, you know, and, and it's much easier to pick a side as well. That's why you have right-wing news and you have left-wing news. Well, we don't actually, have right-wing news in, in Canada. We only yeah. have left. <laughs> we only have left. And it's going down this really crazy road. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the BC, uh, with the Bill C-11, um, which is our censorship bill here in Canada. So um, as of, I believe, November 24th, Canadian podcasters now have to register yes. with the government and our content will be regulated. So it's possible that this conversation will be taken down, but I'm like really trying to get my grips on some of the big Canadian podcasters to figure out what the heck we're going to do here because they want to censor us in yeah. all ways it, and our Netflix. Netflix is, it, is next. It, does it apply to all podcasts or I, I, is it like over a certain number of listeners or? So it right now, so there was nothing about podcasts when the bill was passed. They put in an amendment that now it's, you have to make over $10 million or you have to have over $10 million revenue um, to register. And um, I believe that that's just the start of the sliding scale of it all. Mm. I think it's, um, so their way to sort of eat. Yeah. It's just the way to ease it in because now they're talking about having Netflix censored and Spotify. Yeah. So it's possible that like you, well, Elisa, if you're, it's for, it's for your safety. It's for yeah. safety and to avoid misinformation. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so true. I don't be a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I'm curious to know, since you're such a world traveler, how, how does the rest of the world see a country like Canada and the response and what we're doing Wow. I mean, look, I cannot speak for the world, um, <laughs> I, but a lot of people I noticed again in multiple countries and continents, a lot of people seem very aware of how bad Canada and Australia in particular got. Yeah. So even when I was in, I don't know, what, whatever countries I've been to, those two Western nations in particular, people seem to have been struck by just how far they went with the lockdowns and the censorship and the mandates and this and that. I was in Australia this time last year, which was uh, also very fascinating. I was there for three weeks after they had uh, returned to normal. And so you can imagine all the people I talked to there and all the stories that I heard and everything like that. Um, I can tell you personally, because uh, I can only ever speak for myself and I'll be very frank my opinion of both of those nations has plummeted massively. Um, I always, <laughs> prior to that time, I'd say, I, I mean, apart from Trudeau, I, I always had like a positive view of Canada and Australia. And now, I mean, on, on all the travels I do, I, I, I quite often I have people like, man, when are you going to come to Australia? When are you coming to, I'm like, dude, like, I'm not interested. Um, <laughs> like never. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, no, no, it's not never, but when someone yeah. pays me a lot of money to go and <laughs> honestly, like I won't, I won't go just for fun. I mean, I'll go when mm -hmm. I've got a booking there and it makes financial sense for me. Whereas before, and, and do you know what's the strange, do you know the strangest thing about both those countries as well is that the Canadians I know are awesome. Yeah. Right. That's Maybe the thing. I, 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 must, I must have, I must have a really biased filter because the Canadians I know are like cool and base. They're, they're like you, like, again, maybe, maybe it's just because, because of who I am. I attract the ones that are like-minded, right? So there's sure. obviously there's sure. obviously a filter, but it's sort of strange to me. Same with Australia. I'm like, man, like the Australian friends I have and acquaintances and the people I'm connected with, they're not the type of people 
like they love liberty. They're like freedom fighter types. They're um, yes. But I'm like, well, that clearly cannot be the vast majority because do you know what else is crazy, Elisa? Is that the people who or the people who did this, the people who put in the mandates and enforced these laws and promoted this propaganda, they all got reelected. Right? They all got reelected, right? This this is the thing. So <laughs> I, I was in Australia, I was in I was in Melbourne. Uh, so Melbourne had the longest lockdowns outside of China, I believe. They had over 500 days of hard lockdown. Um, oh my God. Their premier, Dan Andrews, the guy who was, yeah. he, he was crazy. Like I, I, they, I watched they, some things. Yeah. You remember him, right? Yeah. They re they reelected him. I, Trudeau, I can't believe it. Trudeau we got re reelected. He, he got re-elected. lost his majority though. He, he got a minority. Yeah. yeah. In the U S if you look at all the States where they had like the crazy lockdowns and they did the yeah. mandates and the vax ports and all this stuff, they all got reelected. So this is where, look, this, people also ask me, you know, Wazubi, why do you travel so much? I mean, I don't know if you know this. The reason I left the UK is because of all the stuff we're talking about. Like I won't Good live in you. the UK again. Yeah. I won't live Good in the you. UK again. I, I left in 2021 and I was like, I'm not, if the ship is sinking, I'm not going to be standing on it because the UK, the UK never got as bad as Canada and Australia, but it was trending in that direction. And I was just like, you know what guys, I'm out. I'm out. I'm piecing out. I'm going to go watch this from a distance. Um, <sighs> and so like, I, I, I still, to this day, get people in Canada and all these countries like, man, like DMing me, what, you know, what do you think I should do? Where do you think I should move? I see you're <laughs> traveling, like which cities are good, which countries are good. What about this? What about, I've never had so many people asking me about what Dubai is like. Um, and so look, maybe we've lived through a dark period, but I do think that there's a massive light that has come out of it all. Thank you for saying that. That was going to be my last question. I want to say, what do you have hope for? Yeah, absolutely. So look, the fact that we're even having this conversation is powerful. As I said, in the past, in the past one year, I've been to, I think, 17 or 18 different countries. Mm -hmm. I've had thousands of conversations with people in person, private, whatever. Do you know how many of us are now connected globally? So whilst there was this massive zombification and global sleepening, there was also a massive global awakening, right? You probably know people in all these different countries who stood up for what was right and who spoke out and who stuck by their values and who are freedom fighters and who love live. So all these people from very disparate worlds are now somehow connected, right? It's true. So I don't know exactly what that means, but it means something and it's going to bode for something into the future. And with such a massive psyop, yes, there are people who, if you ran this whole campaign again tomorrow, they'd fall right back into it and they'd do the same thing they did in those previous years. But I'll tell you what, it would not be anywhere near as many people. There are hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people who are now like, hmm, and again, some of those are the quiet people who never apologized and never admitted error or whatever. But you know what? Do you know how many people took the last booster shot? Single digits. Yeah. Single well, digits. I, I don't know so, about here. I don't know about in Canada. Okay, I don't know I'm about hearing Canada. people. Okay. I'm hearing people all over the place. It's really interesting though, but it's it's amazing what travel really does because it does give you a different lens. We're we're so in this tunnel vision. I mean, I know we're we're almost at the end of our time here, but 
my background is in uh, performance sport. I skied for Team Canada for eight years. I'm a two-time national champion and World Cup gold medalist. And we would we would travel all over the world and see different things. And it's amazing how culture, how you the culture that you're stuck in or that you live in becomes the lens to which you see the world. And as you move around, you start that that sort of peels away the layers of what you think you know and shows you that the world operates very differently in very in in various regions of the world. So it's a it's a beautiful thing that you have been able to travel so much and I, I would give your nomad lifestyle some credit because because of that you have such a um, an upper limit to your perspective of what's actually happening here and bringing sense to the rest of us. Yeah, absolutely. But um, a lot of people have woken up. It would be difficult for them, not impossible, because not enough people mm -hmm. have learned the lesson, but it would be difficult for them to pull this off again, at least in the way that they, at least in the way that they did it. There's a mm -hmm. lot of people, even many, many of the millions, billions of people who went along with it all and did all the things they were supposed to do. At this stage, again, if they're being honest with themselves, they're like, nah, okay, that didn't quite uh they might just put it down to the science changing, <laughs> but um, either <laughs> yeah, way, exactly. they, either either way, they know that it didn't quite add up and make sense. And because if they did, they'd still be wearing their masks, they'd still be getting their boosters, they'd still be doing it all. And if you go outside, they're not. So that tells me a lot. I I, I pay attention, not a lot of attention, not just to what people say, but to what people actually do. Because if you watch mm. people's behavior, it'll often tell you what they really believe. Well, that's a perfect way to end this episode. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your energy. You're a beautiful light in my world and many others. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Elisa. It's been <laughs> wonderful talking to you. Okay, I'm over here giving you a big virtual hug because you just finished another episode of the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, I'd love for you to share the love and head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify and give this show a five-star rating. I'll give you bonus points for leaving a written review. And if you're looking for more, head over to elisaunfilteredcoaching.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elisa Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time. <laughs>